there's two responses after something like that. How do you, how do you preach after that? Or, wow, I get to preach after that. That's how I tr- choose to interpret it. I think it's interesting, just that last scripture, but David didn't, David spoke that word over Dan and Sarah, uh, and I've been praying that specific passage of scripture for the last two years for our church and our movement, that we would, I felt like the Lord, well, not I felt like, the Lord put that scripture in my, in my spirit a, a couple of years ago, or a year and a half ago, uh, to hold on to as a promise that in the place where we see, the, in the place where we feel like that we're living in a desert, where things spiritually aren't coming to life in the way that we'd like to see them, or we're not experiencing those spiritual dynamics, that God can plant trees uh, in a place where these trees are not supposed to grow. And um, I took it as a prophetic promise as God put that spirit in my put that word, verse in my spirit that God was going to plant five to seven spirit-filled transformational churches within our city, uh, that we were going we were going to see more churches established that um, display the works of God in such a way that the only thing that, God, that people could say is, this is God. This is God. And that's true for our individual lives, and that actually flows right into what I want to share this morning. Uh, we, we have been um, on a journey for the last few weeks as a church uh, to look, and so when you see this, this big uh, uh, logo on our screen, it says, look, and you like, what are we looking at? Look at the mountains, <laughs> look at the lake. Uh, what we're wanting to, to, to do by placing that word in front of us is, God, we want to look at you. We want to look at you in the context of uh, what you've done in our lives, and we started off this series by looking back at the works of God. Uh, we're in the middle of looking at who we are as a church, what we would describe as the non-negotiables of, of who we are, uh, people that are revived in God, refreshed in community, and released in purpose, and everything that that entails, uh, the, the boundaries, so to speak, of what church should be like no matter where we live or where we're, we're operating. And in a few weeks, we're going to transition from looking in, and we're going to start to look outward. And we're going to start to, as a body, come together and say, God, what is your heart? What is your specific call? What is your specific vision for this church in this location at this time uh, in the history of God? What do you want us to be about? What specifically uh, is on your heart that you are calling us to partner with you in in reaching this community, in this city, in this area, and the world. And we're going to be journeying together uh, doing that. And there's going to, in a few weeks, uh, we're going to be communicating with you ways in which we are going to dream together and listen to God and open our eyes to see what he's doing. But before we get there, we want to look a little bit more in. And last week, we, we celebrated Pentecost together, and we looked at Acts, and we looked at uh, this promise that that Jesus spoke to his disciples when he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we went on and we, we observed what happened in Acts 2 <clears throat> when the Spirit of God did come upon these disciples, these men and women that were waiting in Jerusalem in expectation of what Jesus had promised. 
and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came and tongues of fire rested upon these men and women and they began to speak in other tongues and the, and the, the display of God's glory on them was so loud and crazy and unusual that it gathered a crowd and the crowd, um, both uh, within the crowd there were some who were amazed and, and said, what is God doing? What does this mean? And there were others in the crowd that looked at this display of God and said, these are crazy people. They're drunk. And we concluded that God is not intent on just having that as a one-time encounter in world history, but that God is wanting to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh, as as it was prophesied in Joel 2. And that that was the beginning of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, not only upon the church, but that it was the initiation of the Holy Spirit living within those who believe in Jesus. Amen? Jesus, for those of us who believe in Jesus, when we put our faith in Christ, and for those of you who maybe are here this morning or on a journey to understand who God is, I can say that Christ said of Himself that He was Emmanuel, God with us, that when He came from heaven to earth, He came to show and display the glory of God, and He lived on this earth to be a witness to who God is among us that we could encounter God by literally when He was here on earth, men and women lived alongside of Him and journeyed with Him and talked with Him and experienced His presence, heard His teaching, saw His miracles, saw His character, saw His suffering, saw His death on the cross, saw His resurrection and encountered Him days after His resurrection in His heavenly form before He ascended to heaven itself. They were witnesses of Christ. And when the Holy Spirit came in Acts 2, He came as a promise of what Christ had said, that if you'll wait, I will send the Holy Spirit and He will come upon you with power so that you might be my witness to the earth. It's exponential discipleship. And when Jesus said, I believe twofold, when Jesus said in John 14, that if as disciples, if we believe in Jesus and we receive the Holy Spirit, that we will do greater things than Christ has done. I believe it's twofold. I believe that we will see miracles like Jesus performed here on earth. And it might even be that we see miracles that Jesus did not perform on earth because He is the miraculous God. And when there's a miracle needed, God performs miracles. But not only that, the beauty and the wonder of Pentecost is now Jesus is not just a person on earth in one location at one time. But the Spirit of God comes upon all believers and exponentially multiplies the presence of God from one location to wherever believers are throughout the world. Which means that we have the Pentecostal Holy Spirit. And I'll offend all of you Baptists out there. We have the Pentecost of the Holy Spirit in us as believers wherever we live. The Spirit of God, the same, the same Spirit that descended upon those disciples, lives within you and me. Can we let that sink in for a second? As a matter of fact, we're going to let that sink in for a few minutes. because That's going to be the context of my message today. That the Spirit of God would come upon us as a church with power so that we might be His witnesses. This is what it means to be church. Can I get an amen? Yes. If you'll wait on me, 
I will send the Holy Spirit, and he will come upon you in power, and you will be my witnesses. What does power look like? In the Greek, this word power is dunamis. In its understanding or its uh, how, how we would understand that or how Greeks would understand that, understand the Greek language, is that it's, it's, it's a power, it's might, it's associated, associated with marvelous works. Marvelous, miraculous power will come upon you. Now, what I want to say here so that we understand what we're talking about is that we're not talking about a witch putting an incantation on you and giving you some kind of mystical power, some kind of, some kind of intangible, supernatural kind of, of charge that we get to do some kind of thing. This is not an it or a presence or a whatever that's come upon you. This is the Holy Spirit the person of God, who is described as power. Why is that important? Because when the Holy Spirit is upon us, when God Himself is in us, then it's not just something that we conjure up or something that we desire to do, but the one who has the desire to love, to change, to transform, to serve everything that's in the nature of God, which is all good, the Scripture says, and is not evil, lives in you. So that we are not trying to conjure up something in a moment. We're not trying to get power when we need it. We're not using power for our gain. But we have God in us, and guess what? When God is in us, I submit to God. He does not submit to me. That's a holy thing. That's why God describes Himself as Holy Spirit. It's holy, reverent, awesome God who lives in us. And His power dwells within us. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think, or another translation says, dare to ask or hope. There is a power, namely the Holy Spirit, who lives in us, who wants to accomplish, listen, this is so important for us to get this in us, He wants to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Which means it's beyond your hope of what you think possibly might, could, or should have happened in my life. It's infinitely more than what we could ask or hope for is the Holy Spirit in us. So that when you think about your life and you think about your life's impact on this world, which is how the Holy Spirit wants us to think, He wants to do more than we can infinitely imagine in our life. Wow. Do we live in a way that we are believing and are accomplishing infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask for or hope? I think every single person in this room has a little bit more room to grow, don't you think? Including your pastor. When I I read that, I was just like, God, 
I am so limited of who you are. Oh, I believe for some things, and on a good day, I'm really believing for some things. But do I live in that place day in and day out? And do I believe when I've come to the extent of my faith and hope that there's a little bit more that God wants to do? This is a promise that we should get excited about. All that God can and wants to do in and through us. What does he want to do? Well, listen to this in Acts 10. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Does that sound like Acts 1.8? Holy Spirit and power, and how Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now, we have a phrase in English. We don't use it very much anymore, but, well, aren't you a bunch of do-gooders? You're just going around and doing good, you know? And I think about do-gooders as, you know, people who just do little acts of kindness, which is great, and, and do acts of service and are just really busy about doing little things for other people, which is awesome, doing good. But in this passage of Scripture, doing good is not just about acts of kindness or acts of service. It's about defeating the devil in people's lives and setting them free from the things that the devil has hold on in them. It's about seeing death come to life in people. We want to do good. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit, literally the Holy Spirit Himself in us, that's wanting to do good through us. Now for those of you who've been here for a while, you've you've seen me get excited about this. Meaning that the Holy Spirit, if I am reading the text right, if I'm understanding Scripture, is living in us, and He is wanting to get out. He's wanting to display His authority in the context of where the devil has a foothold in people's lives and He's wanting to set people free. That's what He wants to do through you. He wants us to do good. Pastor, I just like to do those other kind of good things. And those are good things. But He wants wants us to do all things, listen, whether they're acts of kindness or service or praying for the sick or sharing the gospel to the lost, he wants us to do them in the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to get out of us so that he can transform people's lives. And when we do things in the power of the Spirit, meaning we do things the way that God wants them to be done through us, then the devil's power is broken in people's lives. When we were praying this morning over the service and we were praying for you to experience this kind of freedom that I'm talking about, this phrase came to my mind as I was praying for this room. I said, I said to, to the team of, of people that were praying, I said, I want, the congr- I want the space in our church today to be a dangerously safe place. 
What do you mean, Pastor? Well, I want it to be a safe place. That tends to be kind of a catchphrase these days. I hear it a lot. We just want to create a safe place. just want this to be a safe place. And what that usually means is we want to create a place where no one will be offended. We want whatever is spoken or done here to be a place where whoever you are, whatever you believe, will not be offended, but we're all just kumbaya together. You know, just really safe and pleasant and non-offensive. As a matter, as, so as a result, we only talk about flowers in the field and TV shows we're watching and sports because we don't want to talk about anything that might offend anybody. We want to be safe. My view of safety is that when you walk in this place, whatever you bring in this place, You, whatever, however or whatever you bring into this room, you are safe to allow God to see you and to know you and to do what he wants to do in your life. That You don't have to carry shame into this place, but you also can expect that this is a dangerous place. And what do I mean by dangerous? Meaning that change is going to happen. That work is going to happen in your life. That there, there is something about God that says, I don't want you just to be safe. I want you to be free. And being free means that we let what's really deep inside of us, the things that we don't talk about out here because it's not safe. We might offend somebody by what's going on inside of me. We, in the church, we can talk about it. And we can say, you know, I'm, I'm addicted to pornography and I'm really struggling and it's ruining my marriage and I don't know how to get free. Can you help me? If I'm really honest, I really don't like people of another color from me. And I really hate them. And I don't want this hate in me. And I want to be free from it. God, can you set me free? I want to be free, God. Is this a safe place to be free? And the answer is yes. But it's a dangerous place when the Holy Spirit's around because He's not politically correct. God's just correct. He's just correct. And when we trust that God is correct, that we are in the presence of the living truth, then we say, God, would you show me where I'm deceived so that I can be free? Now listen, there's a fine line. Because we can be truth, correct policemen. And we can have a spirit on us of correcting others without looking at our own need. And we can have a big old log knocking people out. How about we all just say, God, we have needs this morning. And we walk in a spirit of humility and say, I brought something in this room that needs healing today. And let's just all get healed together in this safe, dangerous place. Jesus said to the people, well, first of all, 2 Corinthians 3, 3, 17 is, the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we're the Spirit of God is there's freedom. But, but in John 8, it says this, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. 
and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. We've never been bound. What do you mean you will, set, you will be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Here's one of those politically incorrect moments that Jesus tended to find himself in a lot. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family. But a son is a part of the family forever. So, if the son, Jesus, sets you free, you are truly free. Yeah, you're correct. You're descendants of Abraham, but every single one of you is in bondage to sin. And therefore, you're a slave to sin. But if you put your faith in Jesus, the son of God, the truth, you can be saved. When I was a seventh grader and I put my faith in Jesus to be set free, I really didn't know to, to the extent of what freedom looked like. I knew the freedom that I was experiencing that, at that moment. I knew the hope that God put in me. But isn't it beautiful that when we invite the living God to live in us, that truth is with us at all times, and as we journey through life, the revelator of truth continues to let us understand and know what freedom looks like. So that the freedom that I experienced as a 7th grader is very different than the freedom I experienced as an 18-year-old in high school that was wanting to cruise the streets for chicks and was wanting to put my hope and my identity and my, my, my needs in being met with a romantic encounter or an experience that if, when Jesus was living inside of me and beside me would say, you know what, Sean, that's really not going to give you the freedom that you need. I am your freedom. The truth in my life looked a lot different when I was 27 or 28, however old I was, when our first child was born. How old was I? 28. And I realized that all of the brokenness that I brought into my marriage in my parenthood that was about to begin from my broken father and mother, all of a sudden now I was responsible. For those of you parents that the doctor handed the baby, uh, the, the nurse said, okay, it's time to go home, and you're like, where's the manual? <laughs> I mean, you're just going to give me this, this breathing person and, and let me be responsible for them? Are you an idiot? What kind of hospital is this? I'm filing, I'm filing malpractice suit against you. I'm not, I'm not capable of taking care of this kid. But there I was with my wife. Praise the Lord. I just kept on thinking, well, I've got Laura. We'll be okay. And she was thinking, thank goodness I'm around. We're okay. But if I would have allowed the condemnation and the insecurity of my upbringing in my inadequacy to leave that hospital with me, things would have been a lot worse for my children than the truth that I embraced as a parent that, yes, I am weak, but praise God you were strong, holy God. And yes, I have not had a, had a, 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 a natural, wonderful witness in what it looks like to be a father, but I have a father in heaven that can show me everything I need to be a good father for my children. Praise God that truth was living in me. See what I'm saying? We have the 
living truth in us that sets us free. What does it set us free from? It set us, sets us free from sin and death. We just re- read about that. It makes us sons and daughters, no longer slaves. It sets us free. He sets us free from fear, the fear of man, the fear of what other people think about me, the fear of my future, what's going to happen to me, the fear of my failure. That yes, hey, by the way, got news for you. All of you are going to fail in something. But we don't have to fear it. We just fall down and get back up in Jesus. We walk with God. We don't have to fear risking our lives for the sake of Jesus. We don't have to fear judgment and unforgiveness. Jesus said that we are to forgive 70 times 7 because he forgives us 70 times 7, which is pretty much him saying, I forgive you all the time because I know that you're going to need a lot of forgiving. For those of you who think the person on your left or right needs more forgiving than you, please repent to the Lord and continue on. You're thinking, well, 70 times 7 here, 70 times 7 here, 1, 2, or 3, maybe 4 times for me. Yay! No, it's 70 times 7 for all of us. We have mercy because we've received mercy. And a lot of it. But we're not just free from some things, we're free to. Isn't that awesome? He doesn't just clean us out and then leave us empty. But he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And everything that is the Holy Spirit is within us. So that when we say that we are partnering or walking with God or with the Holy Spirit, we have everything that he is in us. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, love, self-control, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, power, discernment, miracles, revelation, wisdom, prophetic knowledge, administration, leadership. The Spirit of God is in us, and does He operate in all of us at the same time like that? I don't think so, because 1 Corinthians 12 says He gives gifts to each one as He deems best or as needed. But I do believe that the Spirit of God is in us so that at any moment He can do whatever He wants to through you and me. Amen? Well, I'm just not an evangelist. Well, yeah, you are because the Holy Spirit's in you. I'm just not a healer. Well, yeah, you are because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Are you going to always heal or always be an evangelist in the sense that there's a gift of evangelism? I don't think so. But I do think that when called upon, when we are open and wholly obedient to Jesus, He does a lot of things in and through us that we would never imagine to ask for or hope for. Remember that scripture? Is it getting good yet? (laughs) On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let everyone, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. In us are streams of living water. They're bubbling up within us. Think water. Think refreshment. Think life. Think watering. Think power. And what do we want that water to do? Do work in us 
sanctify us, empower us, and to come out of us. And if we dam up that water, what happens when you dam up a flowing stream? The water becomes stagnant. Right? Do we want living, life-giving water, or do we want stagnant, stale water? I think most of us know that experience of being stagnant and stale in the Lord. And I only say that because I know it in my own life. When I am not allowing the living water that is bubbling up in me to have its outflow out of me. God, I want to be life-giving in you. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit of God to to descend or to, to fill you so that you might receive power from on high and be my witnesses. What does it mean to be his witness? In the Greek, this means martus, the, the word is martus. It means one who testifi- testifies about another. One who gives an account about another. I have tasted and seen that God is good, and he is good, so I'm going to let you know about who God is in my life. We, by the Holy Witness, the Holy Spirit in us, because the Holy Spirit is the great witness, right? The the one who has been called to testify about Jesus, the Scripture says. We want the witness within us to let people see, taste, touch, hear, feel the living Lord in our life. Can people feel, taste, see, touch, and experience God through your life? That's what happened in Acts 2. God came upon them. People saw and heard their testimony. Crowds gathered, and then there was a partnership that took place. Peter stood up under the power of the Holy Spirit, and he preached to this whole crowd. Now remember, lest we forget the history that's going on, Jesus had just been crucified not many days before that in Jerusalem. And there were murderous threats that were being spoken about the followers of Jesus, such that they were hiding. And the Spirit of God comes on them, and the power of God comes on them, and they went public. That's an important thing to understand. Well, yeah, but they were just like overcome, and they were like robots. Jesus, Jesus, be safe, healed. Ha, 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 ha. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes on us, right? We have no control. We just, oh. I've been in those churches. That's what happens. No, that's not what happens when the Spirit of God comes on us. The Spirit of God is a person, and He comes into our life, and He says, are you ready? And we say, I think so. No, you're not. Okay, I'm still with you. What are we doing? And we partner with the Holy Spirit. So when the Spirit of God came on them, they were still human beings, and they were probably thinking, what in the world is going on? Oh no, there's a lot of people gathering. Oh no, this could be really bad. I don't like this. I've never experienced this before. God, why are you doing this? I don't like, for all of you really steady, I don't like changing my life, people. This was a bad scene. I know you because I have some of you who live in my house. This is a bad scene. Everything that is predictable and normal about my life is getting thrown out the window. And Peter stands up 
and he preaches the gospel, and people get saved. We partner with God. God has made it so that it is not just him doing it and us sitting back and watching and going, isn't God good? And it's not just about us doing it all and God saying, oh, so you don't need me. You have it all figured out. You've got all of your apologetic Bible study lessons all planned, and you don't need me anymore. Bible's intact. Spirit of God's happened. we got the church going. It's all up to you now. You don't need me. No, God's saying, we're doing this together. Forever. Not just here on earth, but forever. And we go, oh, no. This is crazy. John Wimber, the starter the founder of the Vineyard Church Movement. And when the Vineyard Church Movement started, what was unique among Vineyard Churches, um, specifically the first one in Anaheim that was started, is that John Wimber's motto was, if it says it in the Bible, then God must mean that it's supposed to happen. And so all kinds of crazy things happened. They prayed for healings and miracles. And for a long time, they didn't see them happen. But then they started to see them happen because they kept on believing. And they started seeing crazy things happen in their service. And one time, there were some crazy healings and prophetic words and things happening in the service. And a lady came down with her Bible, and she was mad. And she said, I, I just want this church to live by the Word of God and just do what the Word of God says. John Wimber, in his casual Hawaiian shirt self, looked at her and he said, Lady, have you read the Bible? Do you know what you're asking for? Go back and read it and then come back and tell me if you still want to do what the Bible says because there's some crazy stuff in the Bible. When asked about healing, which was a, 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 a very present phenomenon that was happening in the Vineyard Church, tons and hundreds, hundreds of people were getting healed, and someone asked him, what is it? How do you know when you are anointed to pray for the sick? And this was his, exa- his answer. He says, well, first of all, you start to get a rubbery feeling in your legs, often followed by intense perspiration, mostly from nervous anxiety. Next, you can expect your tongue to feel very thick. This makes it difficult to say even your own name, which is fine because your mind will have begun feeling so clouded that you will have difficulty even remembering your own name. And when you start feeling these things, you can be really confident because the anointing is on you. You are ready to pray for the sick. John's point was that the anointing feels like an an anxiety attack. (laughs) Because we have decided to take the risk of cooperating with God. But we really don't want it that way. God's saying, cooperate with me, partner with me. And we're saying, I don't really want to but I think I will. So how do we receive this power that becomes this witness to see people saved? And I want to remind you that when we see the power word, the dunamis word in Acts, almost every time that it's used in Acts, it's accompanied by the proclamation of the gospel. Now, there are works of God we read about in 1 Corinthians. We read about the prophetic gifting um, that God gives us. And it says in 1 Corinthians 14 that that prophetic gifting is used to strengthen and edify the church. 
There are ways in which God edifies and encourages us. But even in that, the purpose of edifying and strengthening the church is what? So that we can have a really good fellowship? So that we can really be excited about having picnics together? And counting the days before God takes us home so that we can be in heaven together? Just, just, just us. <laughs> Forever? It's going to be so good. Woo! No. So that we can be encouraged to bust out of these walls and to believe that partnering with the Holy Spirit might be crazy dangerous, but be a safe encounter with somebody who's really looking for hope, and that they might receive a word or, or a healing or a revelation or wisdom from God that would change the way they think and allow them to believe in the living God. Witnesses with His power. My wife, can I share this story from your little trip? I didn't ask. My wife and Josh and Nikki um, got away for, for a day together. They're good friends, and they were in a restaurant, and the person that was waiting on them attracted their attention, I believe, by the power of the Holy Spirit as they, these women walked under the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. And One of them asked about the tattoos on this woman's arm, and shared a little with them, and then a little bit later, another one of the women came up and started talking to the same woman, and all of a sudden, the three of them are standing there, and this person that's working at the counter is caught in the power of God, I believe. And so as they were asking her a question about encountering God, if she had an encounter with God, if she knew God, if she had any experience of understanding who Jesus was, she said, well, I'm Jewish. Little did she know that the lady on the left of my wife and the lady on the right of my wife were Jewish. And they said, well, so are we. Let's talk about how Jesus has saved our life. And Nikki, who has a powerful testimony, in this busy little restaurant, was able to, for 10 solid minutes at the counter without another customer coming in the door, miracle, share her full testimony as this woman, with rapt attention, was experiencing God's power. God wants us to partner with Him. He wants to partner with you this morning. Would you stand up with me? We want to provide some opportunity for the Spirit of God to meet with us. How do we encounter the power of the Holy Spirit? We encounter the power of the Holy Spirit by recognizing that the Holy Spirit lives in us. You have the power of the Holy Spirit living within you. Say this with me. As a believer, if you're a believer in Jesus, I have the power of the Holy Spirit within me. Now, let's say it again like you believe it. I have the power of the Holy Spirit within me. If you are here this morning and you are seeking God, I can tell you that when you put your faith in Jesus and you allow this living God who willingly went to a death on a cross to provide the opportunity for you to be forgiven. He, the scripture says, became the perfect sacrifice for your imperfect sinful life. And when we put our hope in Jesus, the blood that he shed on the cross, the scripture says, figuratively, it washes us clean. And every sin you have ever committed, every 
thought of unbelief, every work of oppression that you've, you've enacted in your life and will ever do is washed by the blood of Jesus. If you want power and freedom and forgiveness in your life, it comes through Jesus first. And so I would invite you, if you're here, and that's your cry, to accept Christ in to meet that deep need of forgiveness and freedom and wash you clean and fill you with his Holy Spirit. We pray, we ask, we say, God, we want all that you have. So this morning, as we have about 10 minutes, we, we have some time this morning. We're going to worship. But church, I want us to ask the question, do we want more of his power living through our lives? Do you want more of his power living through your life to live in freedom, to live in ministry, to reveal God's glory? Then I want us to respond to him in that way today. I want us to call out to God. So if that's you, um, I would invite you to, to step out of your chair and to get to a place. It could be up here. It could be on the side of the auditorium. It could be in the back. But do something physical that says, God, I want to be serious with you. If that's you, why don't you do that right now?